church will be a reflection of the character of your leadership. And, uh, man, I had the joy of getting to be with a number of Good Hope's leaders this weekend. And what I can tell you is that uh, the character of this church uh, is godly character. And uh, uh, we've not arrived, any of us, but thankfully, uh, God is doing a great thing here. So I think this is my third time to be here. And I think I'm more intimidated this morning than I have the first <laughs> two times. And, uh, but I am so uh, thankful to be here. I love your pastor. I love his wife. I've gotten to know Dr. Stevens and Dr. Harris and, and their spouses among a lot of your deacons and other pastors. And uh, 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 Dr. Smalls, is, uh, uh, or Deacon Smalls is uh, already, you want me to call you a doctor? And uh, no, <laughs> you know, he's looking forward to a little one-on-one -on -one next year. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> so I, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, I'm going to talk about prayer this morning, at least at 8 o'clock. I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about at 11 o'clock. I'm not I'm going to talk about something else, but, uh, but this morning I want to talk about prayer. And I want you to picture yourself in a courtroom for a moment. And uh, you, you, you've got the judge up top. He's smiling, by the way. You've got the uh, prosecutor on one side, the defendant on the other. And the prosecutor, he's a loudmouth. And he's just talking all this smack. He's reminding you of all of your past sin. Most of it, by the way, is true. Some of it's lie. But you're just hearing this from across the table, and all you can do is look up to the judge. Now, I want you to also recognize that in this courtroom, the judge is already on your side. Now, what would that be like, huh? You walk into the courtroom, and you know that the judge has already decided that he is for you. You know, the Bible talks about that type of judge. I love in Hebrews chapter 4, he says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus. And we know he's talking about Jesus as a high priest because in Hebrews 3 verse 1, he says that Jesus is the high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. I'm going to come back to talk about what that confession might be. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every, not some, but he says every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near. He doesn't say tiptoe. He doesn't say with insecurity, open the door to the courtroom. He says with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. You need to know that a Jewish judge had two specific roles. He was a legal advocate, which is important because our righteousness is a legal move that he made, that Jesus made on our behalf. He's a legal advocate and he's a high priest, which means he has the last say. But he says, come with our confession. Now, there's a lot of places we could talk about our confession in the New Testament. I love how Colossians chapter 2, 13 through 15 talks about our confession. Paul says, and you who were dead in your trespasses, fancy word for sin, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Remember, the high priest is a legal advocate that he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Well, this morning... uh, I want us to look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and it gives us a picture of a courtroom. Now, we're going to look at two parables that are actually are intended to be read together. We often read those separately, and we miss out on some things. But if we were to look at it in its original language, we'd see that there's not a break. Now, some of our English redactors put a break in there, and they, they have the parable of the persistent widow. And it's, listen, it's not about a persistent widow. And then they have the Pharisee and the tax collector. But these parables are to be read together. You can even see that in the English when he says in verse 9, he also told this parable. He was talking to the same people. But for us to really understand what Jesus has for us this morning about prayer to the high priest, to the most high, we we need to look at both of these parables. So let me start with the first eight verses. And he told them a parable, talking about Jesus, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now you need to know that in chapter 17 of Luke, Jesus is talking to the disciples about what it's going to be like when he comes back, the consummation of Christ. And those guys are saying, man, it is hard. It is exhausting. I am tired. And Jesus is saying, but I am coming and so now he's saying in, verse, in chapter 18, don't lose heart. Look at verse 2. And he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. In fact, that's a Greek idiom. It means punched in the eye. So if you ever heard that saying, it's like a poke in the eye, Jesus said it first. And he's talking about this judge, this unrighteous, evil judge, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what this unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? No, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Say speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on 
earth. I love that we see in verse 1, he says, always pray, don't lose heart. Always pray. But I want you to understand, too, that he's not, he's not focused on the persistence of this widow. In fact, he's creating a juxtaposition. He's creating a contrast here. Jesus is not wanting to, to align himself with this unrighteous judge. Therefore, he's not as interested in one's persistence. By the way, what's being played out here is that this woman, because of her persistence, earned the right, wore the judge down. That's a work. Ephesians 2.8 says that, that we are His by grace through faith, not of our own doing, right? So it can't be that persistence in and of itself is what moves the hand of God. That's not what it says. In fact, he says in verse 8, he, he asks a rhetorical question. Am I going to find faith? But he's creating this contrast between persistence versus faith, between an evil judge and a good father. And so we got to focus on the widow's per. Uh, we, we can't focus on the widow's persistence, but we focus on the faith that he's talking about. Listen, I know that sometimes we come to God with an entitled uh, desire for Him to answer our prayers. Sometimes, especially when it's tough, when it's hard, we f- we feel like we've been doing what we're supposed to be doing. We've been walking. And he says, we don't have to come with an entitled persistence. We don't have to come with an entitled heart. We can go to the throne of grace with confidence because we have a good father, one who sympathizes in our weaknesses and yet is without sin. Now look at verse 9, and then we're going to put both these passages together. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this one tax collector. (laughs) I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, he's standing at the back, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So here we have this picture where this Pharisee, and I do think Pharisees sometimes get a bad rap. I don't think all of them. I mean, they were, uh, they were taught to walk in the law and to hold that 
I believe many of them. We have uh, a guy like Nicodemus who I think had a humility about him. But those in the audience would have understood this parable because Pharisees, by and large, tend to be self-righteous in a day when Jesus was teaching grace and humility. And here he is thanking God that he's not like other people. Now, it's one thing to pray that we would protect ourselves from those lifestyles. It's another thing for us to compare ourselves as if we were more righteous than one. And so he just gives Jesus this long list of achievements. His attitude was clear that God was very fortunate to have him. <laughs> In fact, that uh, there's a little play on words in, in verse 11. The, the Greek is, is pros heton. And it, it says that he prayed these things to himself. He wasn't even praying to God. He was just talking about who he was in light of the law and saying, you ought to look, you ought to see how good I am. (laughs) I mean, his prayer probably never even went to the throne. But the tax collector, he stands far back. He recognizes God's holiness, God's power, and he asks for mercy. And it says that he was justified. Now, justification is our standing before God as determined by God. It's not moral perfection or renewal. It's something that is given to us by the righteousness that God puts in us as a result of Jesus' death on the cross. So a a few takeaways as we put these two things together this morning. First thing is this, that continual prayer, always, uh, uh, continual prayer allows God to change us for the good. So listen, this, this is not about persistent prayer and wearing God down in such a way that he moves his hand, okay? But he does affirm in verse 1 that we ought to always pray. That continual prayer shapes us and molds us. It's something that's relational. God created us to be in relationship with Him. So often we talk about, you know, I have a relationship with God because I am a sinner. That is true. We have a relationship with God because He created us to be in relationship with Him. And anything less than a relationship with God leaves us incomplete. But we're in a relationship primarily because he created us. We're incomplete apart from him. It ought to be a continual conversation with him. Just like a a good marriage, there's good communication. Just like a good relationship, there's good communication. So we pray always because he, he begins to change us for the good. in our pain, in our hurt, in our joy. He shapes us and molds us. second thing is this, is that God desires faith and prayer more than persistence in prayer. I, I, I go back to, and, and well, I go back to verse 8. He says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, by the way, say speedily with me. 
Now that Greek word is tacos. I'm not joking. Tacos. It's spelled a little bit different. It's T-A-C-H-O-S. I happen to love tacos. Say tacos. Now turn to your neighbor and say tacos. Don't spit on them though. Tacos. I want you to think about, when, when you think about tacos, I want you to think about how speedily God answers prayer. You're getting hungry? Want some Mexican food? He speedily comes to us. And then he says at the last part of verse 8, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Okay, his interest is faith. That we would approach the throne of grace with confidence as he describes and desires. And that ought to be a release for us. That he is waiting with open hands in the courtroom saying, would you come and bring your prayers to the Most High because I am a legal advocate, a high priest that wants to rule on your behalf. Would you appeal to me? Would you stop listening to what the prosecutor has to say and just put your eyes up and ask for an appeal and know that I will speedily answer your prayer. You see, prayer and faith is continual and persistent, not so that we try to change God to move his hand, but so that he changes us. You see, here's where right motivation comes in. If we're praying to move God rather than letting him move us, then then we're coming with this posture of arrogance as if we know what's best, as if we're performing a work that is Uh, necessary to receive something, but that's unnecessary. We're saved by grace through faith. We're approved by God because of our merit. Uh, I'm sorry, we're not approved by God because of our merit, but by his mercy. So we must realize that a lack of results does not mean we need to put more effort into something. See, more effort without additional wisdom usually produces tiredness and fatigue. But when I tell God that he needs to meet my deadline or expectation and he doesn't, you know, we get frustrated, right? God isn't doing what I'm telling him to do. We get angry that things aren't changing quicker. We get bitter that good things are happening to the other people we see around us but not happening to us. But this striving produces a frustration while praying in faith produces fruit. You see, our view of God informs our prayers to God. Praying in faith means that we see God as the king over all of our circumstances and that we will trust his response because he knows best. Our our faith increases as our view of God increases. You got a big God? Do you appeal to the high priest? How would this change your prayer life if you appealed to the high priest? Last thing we see here is that humility unleashes the favor of God. Humility unleashes the favor of God. So he goes through in the first eight verses, he talks about probably a very uh, sweet widow, yet is persistently pushing up against an unrighteous judge. And he doesn't say that she's justified by her persistence, but rather Justification comes by faith. He moves then to this tax collector and Pharisee. The Pharisee 
says, you owe me, God, because of all the things that I've been doing for you in church. I've been, I got perfect attendance. I come at the 8 o'clock worship service. You know, I, I, I've been given to Uganda because 10 wells in 10 years is a great deal. And uh, so, God, you ought to do this in my life. I deserve the promotion that so-and-so got, didn't get that promotion. And uh, what's your problem, Lord? I've been doing all of these good things. And yet the tax collector, he's at the back of the church. He's so humble. He's unwilling to even look up to the heavens because he recognizes the power of and majesty of the high priest of the Most High. And he comes with humility. See, here we see the difference between proud versus broken people. See, the proud are self-righteous and look down on others, but the broken esteem all others better than themselves. The the proud have a critical fault-finding spirit, and they look at everyone else's faults with a microscope, but with our own with a telescope. But the broken are compassionate. They can forgive much because they know how much they've been forgiven. The, 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 the proud have a subconscious feeling. Man, this ministry, this family is so privileged to have me. But the broken have a hard attitude that says, I don't deserve to have any part in this ministry, knowing that we have nothing to offer God except the life of Jesus flowing through our broken lives. The proud says, so we don't think we need revival, but we're sure that everybody else needs revival. But the broken person continually has this sense and need for a fresh encounter with Christ and a fresh filling of His Holy Spirit. The proud says, they have a hard time saying, I was wrong, will you please forgive me? But the broken are quick to admit failure. They go first and confess when necessary. The proud tend to deal in generalities when confessing their sin. The broken are able to acknowledge specifics when confessing sin. The proud are more concerned about the consequences of our sin. And the the broken are grieved over the cause and root of our sin. The proud are more concerned with being respectable in what others think. Work to protect our image and reputation. Where the broken are concerned with being real. What matters is not what others think, but what God knows. And the tax collector stood at a distance because he saw that there was a holy God. He wouldn't even look up because he knew that there was a powerful God. And he beat his breast because he was asking for God's mercy. And it was his view of God who produced humility in his heart. And that's what unleashed the favor of God. Jesus said it was this man, the tax collector, the one who was probably, if God weighed things on a scale versus a Pharisee and a tax collector, probably had broken the law quite a bit. And yet, he said it was the tax collector, this man who walked away justified. Listen, how we view God will determine how we relate to God. Humility unleashes the power So here's what I would ask you this morning. Would you bring a personal problem to the Lord today? Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's something physical. Do you need a miracle this morning? Would you ask a good father? Would you ask him in faith? Would you walk into the courtroom in your prayer closet? You may be driving too. Just keep your eyes open.
But when you go to the Most High, would you appeal to Him first before listening to the trash that the prosecutor would want to bring? Would you trust that when you walk into the courtroom that the high priest has already decided that he wants to rule on your behalf? Most high God, you are so gracious. Um, Thank you. Um, Thanks for your word, your empowered word. Lord, would you put in us a faith that approaches your throne just like Hebrews 4 describes. That we would hold to that confession that as a child of God, it is by your righteousness and by your righteousness alone that we can be in relationship with you. That by your grace, you have unleashed your righteousness in us. So, Lord, thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.